Good morning. Last time, I'm going to say this, I haven't seen some of you all year. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate that. He promised he'd laugh. Okay. So what we just heard read was part of Jesus' most famous sermon, possibly the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5 through 7. At heart, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live our lives as those who know God, follow Jesus, and seek to pursue God's purposes in the world. The Sermon on the Mount does not teach us how to get to heaven when we die. It does not even teach us how to receive forgiveness from God for our sins. It teaches us how to live in the here and now once we have been forgiven of our sins and become citizens of the kingdom of God. It teaches us how to live in the here and now. When I first came to uh, faith in Christ, a lot of my experience of discipleship was all about getting the right content into my head, filling in the blanks with the correct answers, memorizing scripture, all of the hopes that putting the right stuff in my head, in my head, my, I only have one, in my head would, would enable me to become more and more like Christ. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But they are not enough. They are not enough. Not if we want to experience the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus offers us. One of the memory verses that uh, we had back when I was in college is what we call the Great Commission. After Jesus was raised from the dead, before he ascended to the Father God, he gave his disciples a job to do, a commission. In Matthew 28, 18-20, we read, I need you to run it for me, thanks. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always through the end of the age. We often use this passage as a call to evangelism, but that is only part of the story. Often the church has been guilty of what? The late Dallas Willard referred to as the great omission. We have the great commission, and he referred to the great omission. That is, we too often focus on getting people converted, but we fail to disciple them in the ways of Jesus. We too often focus on getting people converted to the faith, but we fail to disciple them in the ways of Jesus. Disciples are not people who know all about Jesus. Disciples are people in whom Christ is being formed, as the apostle puts it. Disciples are people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. One of the most popular evangelistic questions, I want to say in the last 50 or 60 years, that you would hear as a, as a way to share your faith with others, raise your hands if you've heard it or said it, do you know what would happen to you if you died tonight? Raise your hand. Anybody hear it? Anybody said it? The point being, do you know if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven or hell? But Dallas Willard suggests it's also important to ask another question. What will happen if you live tonight and tomorrow and the day after? Who will you become? How will you live? That's a question about discipleship. We actually find very little talk about how to get to heaven when we die in our New Testament. It's there, but we don't find a lot of it. 
we find a lot of talk about how we are supposed to live in the here and now in a way that honors God, in a way that enables us to flourish as human beings, and in a way that demonstrates the kingdom of God to the world. In a way that demonstrates the kingdom of God to the world. Pastor Sarah Robinson, a covenant pastor, friend of Pastor Chuck's in Florida, she grew up in Indiana. She uses this idea of a demonstration plot as the model for who we should be as the local church community. In the world of agriculture, one type of demonstration plot is a plot of land set aside to demonstrate a new variety of seed so that others can see the potential of that variety. Kim and I have stumbled across these many times in riding our bikes in the countryside. It's a way to say, take a look, this is what great corn looks like. I'll find out later if that's true from all our agricultural friends in the congregation. In the same way, local congregations are demonstration plots for life in the kingdom of God and for human flourishing on the earth. Together, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we learn how to live as Jesus and the New Testament teaches us to live. Thus, though we do so imperfectly, though we do so imperfectly, we bear witness to the kingdom of God in the world. We show our community how to live justly, how to live well, how to live faithfully and true. We become a demonstration plot of what human flourishing can look like. Our lives say, take a look. This is what life in the kingdom of God can look like. And as we flourish with one another in our relationships, in our relationships with others outside of the, of the community, others will be drawn in and will want to become a part of who we are. Now, I mentioned to you one year ago a wonderful book by Alan Kreider entitled The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The premise of that book is that the early church did not have an organized strategy uh, or approach to evangelism. In fact, they were rather secretive about their worship and their practices. This was in part because they feared outsiders would come in and disrupt worship. They feared they'd come in and spy on them and possibly use what they find out to persecute uh, the believers later. But it was also because they believed that coming together for worship as sisters and brothers in Christ, coming together as a part of our community and for discipleship purposes was too sacred to be shared with people who didn't get it. It was too sacred to be shared with outsiders. It was, to quote Jesus, like throwing pearls before swine. Worship and church life were only for insiders. And yet the church grew dramatically in those first few centuries. It is estimated that in the first 300 years, the church grew 40% per decade. And yet there was no evangelistic strategy that we're aware of. They simply grew. Furthermore, within the first 400 years of church, three, they did a, there was a lot of this, trying to figure out who we are, what we believe. Uh, there, there were three treatises on Christian patience, how to be patient as a Christian. Three treatises written on that, but none on evangelism. None. These early church scholars believed our transformation was the primary focus. Our transformation was the most important thing. Those who wanted to become insiders, those who wanted to become followers of Jesus, 
would then enter a lengthy and demanding process of training designed not only to teach them doctrine, but to build into them new habits of living and becoming more and more like Jesus. Let's just say our process of membership at ECC is not quite so rigorous. The most difficult thing you have to do is sit through a three-hour class, but we also give you a free lunch, so it's kind of a wash. The early church believed that by living as Jesus taught and becoming more and more and more like Jesus, God would be at work in and through them, changing them little by little like yeast in a batch of dough, and in and through their transformation, others would be changed too. In and through their transformation, others would be changed too. The patient fermentation of the early church into a Christ-like people yielded fruit in their relationships that would draw their neighbors to Christ. Outsiders would want to become insiders and they would be added to God's kingdom. As I said one year ago, the early church's growth wasn't about something amazing they did. It was about something beautiful they were becoming. It was their own transformation as followers of Jesus that brought others to faith in Christ and transformed their world. And the same is true of us, sisters and brothers. As we grow in effectiveness, in community, and in mission at ECC, it will not be because of something amazing we do. It will be because of something beautiful we are becoming. That is how we will grow. The difference is this. While the early church practiced what they called, they had a name for it, the the discipline of the secret, the discipline of the secret, in which they barred any outsiders for joining them, from joining them, there is nothing secretive going on today. Times are different. We can invite people into our own kingdom demonstration plot anytime we want, for worship, for life groups to serve, and outreach to be a part of other service opportunities. And they can experience the kingdom of God and the abundant life Jesus offers us firsthand. If we do it well. How do we get there? How do we become a demonstration plot kind of community for the kingdom of God? And, and, and wherever you may be in your own personal, individual walk with God, how do you continue the journey onto whatever the next step might be for you? What we want to share with you in the next few weeks is a challenge and an invitation. A challenge and an invitation. My prayer is that when it comes to the kingdom of God and the abundant life in Christ, we will experience more in 2024. And yes, it rhymes, don't judge me. In terms of the kingdom of God and the abundant life in Christ Jesus, my prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we will experience more in 2024. In our passage from Matthew 7, as Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, he warns us in verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This mini-parable begins a trilogy of three parables which bring Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount to a close. Verses 13 to 14, we have the two roads, ways, or gates. Verses 15 to 23, Jesus compares true and false prophets to good trees that bear good fruit, bad trees that bear bad fruit. And finally, verses 24 to 27, Jesus wraps it all up with the wise builder who builds a house on rock and the foolish builder who builds a house on the sand when the storms come. 
Uh, the house built on the rock stands, but the house built on sand collapses. We have a choice. We have two ways to live. We can follow and become more and more like Jesus, the true prophet, or we can simply keep going the way we were going, which will lead to destruction and a failure to truly enter into and experience the kingdom of God. If you were to read through the Sermon on the Mount, and I recommend you do sometime, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, you would see that it is very much about life in the here and now, not the hereafter. This is a good place to put a plug in for the people over at the Bible Project. There's a link uh, to their page, uh, their website, in the, in the Bible app uh, live event. And i just like to say this every once in a while, if you do not have the Bible app on a phone or a tablet, I ha- highly recommend you get it. Uh, you can get it wherever you get your, your uh, applications, and then you, once you uh, log in and turn on your, um, your location services, once you open up and hit the little bars at the bottom on the right there, at least it is on that iPhone, for more and hit events, we should pop right to the top. You're going to find a lot of the communication stuff we talk about there, and as well as some resources for further study and reflection on the passage. Well, this year, the people over at the Bible Project are uh, slowly going through the Sermon on the Mount And they have some very wonderful and thoughtful, helpful, and engaging resources. I would even say entertaining. And I can't encourage you enough to check them out at BibleProject.com. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with three images of the choice before us. He warns us to choose wisely. This choice is very similar to what Moses taught in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in his final teaching to the Israelites before they entered into the Promised Land Moses warns them in Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 uh, to 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The choice between life and death is not about the afterlife right there. It is about life in the land God swore to give their ancestors in the here and now. Likewise, as those who have come to know Christ, you and I can live in a way that leads to destruction or we can live in a way that leads to life. The kind of life Jesus talks about in John 10.10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The First Nations translation of this verse calls it the good life, a life that overflows with beauty and harmony. Too often we can fall into the trap of thinking that all that matters is what happens when we die. And that, of course, is very important. But that doesn't mean that what we do in the here and now is not important. How we live who we are becoming matters. How we live and who we are becoming matters. So Jesus says, enter by the narrow way. As challenging as that will be at times. Enter through the narrow gate and you will not regret it. Build your house upon a solid foundation of Jesus' teaching and you will be glad you did. Pastor Kristen spoke to us last week about what it means to want a new beginning for ourselves. Using Jesus' words in his first 
uh, public act of ministry in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, she lifted up several realities that we need to lean into if we want a true new beginning. Over the next few Sundays, we are introducing a pathway to just such a new beginning for all who want it. Last week, Kristen said that a new beginning means that the Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us, that no one is excluded from God's kingdom, that this new beginning Jesus has for us enables us to see others and to see the world differently, and that in and through Jesus, we and others are truly set free. This is the kind of new beginning Jesus offers us when we take the narrow way instead of the broad way. When we build on a foundation of rock rather than sand. A new beginning, however, is just that, a beginning. It's a beginning. Once we have begun, we need to find a way forward because, just as we heard in our children's message earlier, God is working inside of us to change the world around us. As God transforms us, we start to reflect different pieces of who God is in our everyday lives. And you thought it was just for the kids. How we live and who we become in this life matters. It matters for the world. It matters for your neighbors. It matters for your family. It matters for you. And of course, all this ties into the middle of our three ECC touchstones, transformation. Your... ECC pastors and directors were on a prayer and planning retreat a few months ago, and one of the things that emerged was the need to further strengthen, deepen, and add structure to the the journey of transformation at ECC. We needed to develop a transformation pathway. We've seen that God is at work moving us more and more in this direction, so we want to sort of codify it, you know, find a way to name it and make it a little more accessible to people. The ancient church sometimes referred to just such a pathway as a rule of life. Now, when you and I hear that word rule, we may be tempted to shut down. It may sound too legalistic or too demanding for us. However, while a rule of life can indeed be work, it is work that leads to health. It is work that leads to freedom. It's the physical therapy that brings healing and hope and an ability to to live life as you were meant to live it. It's the physical training that enables us to run a marathon. It's the years of piano or guitar lessons that enable you eventually to be able not only to play well, but to enjoy it. An ECC rule of life, then, is an invitation to a more intentional way of following Jesus and his teaching. And And through it, we experience abundant life, and we can become a demonstration plot for life in God's kingdom for all to see. For the past three years, pastors, directors, and council have been in a consulting relationship with Kristen Nevins, and the work that we have done with her has helped us to become healthier as individuals, it's helped us to become a healthier team, it's helped us to uh, to get better at strategizing for the future mission of ECC. One of the phrases we found helpful as we discern the future is that personally and corporately, we need to move from being intuitive to being intentional. We need to move from being intuitive to being intentional in the most important things about health and mission. Our ECC rule of life is just such an intentional move, and we want to invite you into the same intentionality. 
as we seek to live out our faith and our mission within the context of our ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence, we will commit to a rule of life together. That is, we will engage in five basic components with intentionality, thoughtfulness, and prayer. But we do not merely check these things off a list. We engage in them in healthy and in intentional ways. There is nothing new to these components. There is absolutely nothing new to these components. If there were, you should start worrying because I'm just making stuff up. There's nothing new. What is new is our commitment to these things. What is new is our intentionality around these things and the degree to which they will become a part of our culture and a part of our mission here at ECC. And hopefully, what is new is our corporate participation in these things and the fruit they will bear in the world. If we liken this pathway to a hike, there are trail mark- these are trail mark- markers along the way. Bill Van Alstyne, who has for many years been hiking the Appalachian Trail, tells me that these markers are called white blazes. <clears throat> when you encounter one of these blazes, you know you're on the trail. You're on the Appalachian Trail. If you, if you go more than a few hundred yards, says a website, I checked, if you go more than a few hundred yards and you don't see that, you maybe should go back and make sure you didn't miss a turn somewhere. Kim and I stumbled upon the Appalachian Trail when we went on vacation a few years ago in Tennessee. We walked 50 feet of it. <clears throat> 50 feet of the total 11,563,200 feet on the trail. It wasn't much, but we have hiked the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> Bill Van Ostein doesn't think so, but... You know. <clears throat> Our purpose this morning is only to introduce each of these blazes or markers along our pathway. We'll unpack them in the next three weeks. If we are to become like Jesus, if we as a congregation are to become the healthiest version of a demonstration plot of the kingdom of God in our community, we will begin, wherever we are, we will begin to move from intuitively following Jesus to more intentionally engaging in these things, apprenticeship, worship, community, service, and generosity. Apprenticeship, worship, community, service, and generosity. We will not become more and more like Jesus as individuals or as a community without some form of these things growing and at work in our lives and in our congregation. Next week, we're going to talk about worship and community. By worship, we mean the time we spend gathered in corporate worship each Sunday. There are other forms of worship. What you do during the week, there are ways to worship. But we are specifically talking about what we do when we gather as a community. By community, we mean the intentionality with which we share life with one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, and when necessary, challenge or rebuke one another, confess our sins to one another, and forgive one another. The following week, we will talk about service and generosity. And by service, we mean the time we intentionally set aside to serve in ECC areas of ministry and in other ministries outside of ECC. By generosity, we mean the practice of thoughtful, prayerful, intentional giving toward the mission and ministries of ECC in the larger kingdom of God. Finally, kind of doing this in a different order, in the last week of the series, we will look at apprenticeship. 
when we invite one another into apprenticeship, meaning apprenticeship to Jesus, we mean we apprentice ourselves to him in the way that someone might learn a trade or a skill from someone who has mastered that trade or skill. We attach ourselves to Jesus. We give allegiance to Jesus. We sit with Jesus. And we make intentional room in our lives for Jesus to transform us. Let me just say that for the record, I think that we as a congregation are already well on our way. The work we did through the Vitality Pathway a few years ago, the work we have been doing for the past three years or so is bearing fruit. And while we are all at different places in our own transformational journeys as individuals, we as a congregation are, I don't know, let's say 10 to 15 miles into a marathon. I really believe that. 10 to 50 miles in. In case you're wondering, it's 26 point something. There are still miles yet for us to travel. But we are already on the way, thanks be to God. Some of us are further along in that. Some of us still are kind of just getting started in some of these things. But we are in this together. And there is room for anyone who wants to be on this pathway who wants to learn to practice the way of Jesus. So my invitation is, would you pray and invite God to speak to you and to us as we begin this series? Would you commit to seeking to listen to the Holy Spirit in terms of the invitation the Spirit might have for you or for us? Would you ask God for the grace we need to enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. Pray with me now as we close and prepare our hearts for communion. God, we give you thanks uh, for the challenging teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, for his invitation that though the challenges are hard, that though the invitation is not without struggle, it leads to life. I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us as individuals. I pray for us as a community. For all within the sound of my voice, God, would you speak to us? Would you move us? Would you, uh, Lord, create some enthusiasm within us that we would want to fully engage this pathway? And that where we are strong, we could celebrate that. And where we have room to grow, God, that we would commit, by your grace, to grow more in these areas. I ask, Lord, over the next few weeks that you will make us open to hear what you might say to us and that you would give us the measure of your spirit to follow through on what you say, and the grace to know that we do not have to do it perfectly, and the passion, Lord God, to follow you as faithfully as we are able. In Jesus' name, amen.